0: Welcome to today's podcast sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogs, all of them at q for hillsdale.com or just Google Apple iTunes and Hillsdale. Uh, it's right in front of me. No, he lies. He tells lies. So are you going to do, do are you afraid of all. the I debate I, Spe- I mean you're thousand winning. Thousand You've got this thousand huge thousand lead. Thousand. You've got this hugely, but are you afraid of the debates because he's on the stage and will come after you? I couldn't care less. I, I think he's not a very smart person. I think he's a very disturbed person. He and uh, uh, maybe deranged Jack Smith should get together for dinner. Uh, Welcome I think Christi- back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, former President Trump, yesterday talking about my next guest, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Governor Christie ran you over with a car yesterday, backed it up, ran you over a couple more times. You're used to that. Any reactions to yesterday's interview?
1: I Look, Hugh, um, it, if it wasn't so disturbing that someone like him is actually running for president, um, uh, you know, uh, I would just feel badly for him. I mean, I, you know, this is a guy who offered me Secretary of Homeland Security twice, who offered me secretary of labor, who offered me White House chief of staff in December of 2018. All four of those jobs I turned down. He made me chairman of his transition in 2016 and prepared the entire transition from May of 16 through the election. Uh, He made me chairman of his opioid and drug abuse commission uh, and then adopted every one of the recommendations of the commission that I chaired. He asked me to prepare for the debates against Hillary Clinton in 2016, and I did so. He asked me to prepare for the debates in 2020 against Joe Biden, and I did so. I would assume you wouldn't ask someone to do all those things if you really thought they were not very smart and deeply disturbed. Um, so, you know, this is a guy who makes things up as he goes along. And and I tell you, is obviously under an extraordinary amount of pressure um, given what he's done, what his conduct has been, and the ramifications of that conduct. So, you know, I'm concerned for him because I think he must not be doing well uh, to say the things he said yesterday. But I think anybody who looks at what his objective actions have been over the course of his relationship with me, um, and what he said yesterday, uh, they know what he was saying yesterday. It's just um, so odd and disturbing um, that it should make everybody question whether this guy really has the psychological capacity to be a, a candidate for president, let alone president again.
0: All right, Governor, before we get to the specifics of the race, and I want to spend most of my time there. I'm in Switzerland. I'm just watching all the troops deploy and I've seen this movie before, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he said he would testify. He also said that most of the indictments against him will be dismissed. I have no opinions on this. I just ask the questions. A, will most of the indictments against him be dismissed? B, should he testify? And C, am I right that the obstruction of justice charges the submarine aimed below water midships?
1: Uh, on the first, uh, first question, I do not believe that most of the indictments will be dismissed. In fact, um, I doubt that any of them would be dismissed. I, I as I said before, Hugh, I think both the New York indictment and the Atlanta indictment were unnecessary. And I would not have authorized those if I was the person in charge of either of those offices. Uh, but I don't think they'll be I don't think that they're legally deficient. Um, you know secondly, will he testify in his own behalf? Um, look, that's always a client's choice, as you know, um, and, and it's going to be ultimately his choice, but I can't imagine any lawyer in their right mind after watching the way he performs would ever put him on the stand and expect it to be anything other than an abject disaster um, for the termination of guilt or innocence. And third, the obstruction charges have always been the most serious charges, which is why I believe on your program when those uh, charges came out, I said I would not have charged the uh, classified documents portion of the case. I would have only charged the obstruction uh, because I think it's the strongest part of the case and the one that can get to trial most efficiently.
0: Now, uh, when he said he can do anything, that was his response to me when I asked him if he directed a anyone to move the boxes. He said, I'm not going to answer that, but I can I can do anything under the Presidential Records Act. Uh, I don't believe that's correct, but I don't argue with my guess. What do you think about that?
1: It's absolutely absurd. First of all, the documents we're discussing uh, aren't covered by the Presidential Records Act. Uh, they're just not. Uh, they're classified documents which are to be handled differently. Um, An idea that he could do whatever he wanted Look, he had an opportunity, and this part I agree with, while he was president, to declassify whatever he wanted to declassify, but he didn't do it. And the idea that he could do it by kind of mind melding with the documents, either while he was president or after, is so absurd that that claim will be laughed out of court. So the Presidential Records Act does not cover what he's talking about, and That's why, you know, I'm sure that's why Jack Smith charged those things. I'm just saying as a a strategic matter, I wouldn't have charged them because the obstruction case appears to be so incredibly strong. I mean, when you look at the voice memos of his attorney that are in the possession of the government, those voice memos alone and testimony that you have to assume Will be consistent with it, with those memos, are so devastating that, you know, a ju- if it were in a civil matter, a judge could almost direct a verdict
0: of a. Well, well, let me ask you, though, would, would, would you have picked Jack Smith for this? Jack Smith has lost it, the Supreme Court unanimously, for making up charges against Bob McDonald. He does seem to be an American Javert. He does not come across well in his brief efforts to explain himself on TV. Would you have picked him to be the special counsel for this? Because I think all the D.C. charges are absolutely constitutionally barred.
1: Look, I don't, you know, Hugh, I don't know Jack Smith all that well, so it's tough for me to evaluate his entire career. But what I would say to you is I think there were a lot of people um, available to the Justice Department to select who didn't have some of the history that Jack Smith has. And given the level of scrutiny, that will be on this case. Um, I would have wanted someone with a background that had, you know, none of the history you just referenced.
0: All right, let, let's go to the campaign because I have seen this movie before from four feet away, and the former president loves a crowd on the stage. And unless the rest of you get together and draw lots, he's going to be the nominee. If you all stay in through Super Tuesday, he, you know, the winner-take-all rules in California guarantee he will be the nominee. Is that going to happen?
1: You know, we're going to have to see how the campaign progresses, Hugh. You know, we're, we're in the first week of September. Um, I'm in the race for three months. Um, I, I think the idea that any of us at this moment um, who are doing some impressive things on the campaign trail should drop out is kind of ridiculous. I mean, look, the last New Hampshire poll has me at 14%, clearly in second place. And twenty points behind Trump, but Trump at only thirty-four. Um, you know, I don't see any incentive for me to drop out at the moment um, at all. So I don't,
0: I don't think you should. But I absolutely do not see why Governor Hutchinson is still in this. I do not understand Governor Burgum. They and and actually, I don't understand Vivek. You started to rip into Vivek, but but Vivek can be interesting. He's a great interview. I hope he comes back. Did you make a? Did you make your point with Vivek in the last debate?
1: I think i did but you know look it, you know I wasn't my intent to go in and make points on vivek but when he gets up on the stage and he says some of the patently absurd stuff that he said and the absurd stuff he said on your program um you know I-, I can't sit there and be silent and won't um but i think i made the points pretty clearly on ukraine on taiwan um you know it, it, and i think nikki made her point very well on Israel. Um, so, you know, I, I think we've made our points on him, and I think, you know, he's someone who seems to be running more for auditioning for Donald Trump's vice president than he is to really be president. When you get on the stage and say he's the greatest president of the 21st century, but at 38 years old, I'm running against him because I'd be better, I, I, I don't know
0: what to make of that. That's Pete Buttigieg. I, I, I got to go back to the, uh, the, neck, the third debate. You said on ABC this past weekend that it's going to be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I checked with the RNC. That's not official. But if it does go down there, that is Trump country. And I want to begin by asking about Senator Tuberville's hold on more than 300 colonels, captains, and general officer promotions. It is a disaster for the American military. I'm on the record about that. Nikki Haley agrees with me. Former President Trump and Governor DeSantis agree with Senator Tuberville. What does Chris Christie think?
1: I've said this already publicly. I disagree with what Senator Tuberville is doing. Um, He has every right to make the points he's making regarding Pentagon policy. We should not do it by impairing the readiness of our military, which is what I think he's doing. All
0: right. Now, let's let's go to the debates beyond if there is one in Alabama, the third debate. I believe there are 12 going to happen. Do you think they're going to be 12? And do you think the RNC is going to follow through on that?
1: I do. Um, every indication I've gotten from uh, Ronald Romney McDaniel is that they put a lot of time and effort and thought into of a the schedule they put together and that that's what they intend to do, regardless of whether um, Donald Trump decides to participate or he continues to disrespect Republican primary voters.
0: All right Now, President Biden looks to me to be enfeebled. I used to use the word infirm, but it is becoming quite obvious he cannot be president for five and a half more years. What do you think is going to happen on the Democratic side, Governor Christie?
1: Um, look, I- I think that they're in a very difficult quandary. Um, I think a majority of the Democratic leadership understands what you just said about President Biden is true. But I think they also don't want Vice President Harris to be their nominee because they think she would be a significantly worse candidate than President Biden. But they don't know how to get themselves out of that fix um, to pass over the sitting vice president. And so uh, I think they're in a very tough bind. I I don't think Joe Biden will back out if Donald Trump is our nominee.
0: I agree with that. I'm going to come back with Governor Christie if he can give us some additional time. So don't go anywhere, America. I'll talk to him off the air for one question or two. And we'll post that and play it tomorrow. But we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to the Hewitt show. I'm back now with Governor Chris Christie. We will air this tomorrow. Governor, let's use these three minutes off the air and I'll play it tomorrow about Dr. Fauci. You heard what the president said yesterday. I was enamored of Dr. Fauci. Ah, he came on the show three times and then I lost my affection for him because I found out he was lying to me and he didn't tell me the truth about gain of function, etc. What was going on? You were there. What was going on with Tony Fauci and Donald Trump?
1: Look, I mean, I first have to admit that I wasn't nearly as close to it at that time as I was earlier in the administration in terms of being consulted by the president on these issues. But what I can tell you is he seemed to me to have complete confidence in Dr. Fauci during the time that Fauci worked for him. I think he, he expressed to me frustration with Fauci from time to time as he did with almost anybody who didn't agree with him 100 percent of the time. But he never expressed to me during that period any sense of uh, doubt or lack of confidence in Dr. Fauci.
0: Do you think the handling of COVID is the jaws issue in this uh, primary, not in the general election, but in the primary? Because Governor DeSantis, uh, Donald Trump tore into him yesterday on his love of Fauci, and then, you know, everyone comes after former president on not firing Fauci. Is it lurking out there in the water for every Republican voter?
1: Look, I, I I do think that it's an issue. I don't I wouldn't call it the Jaws issue, though, but I do think it's an issue. And I think the president has much to answer for regarding his handling of COVID. And I wrote a few op eds about it at the time. So uh, I didn't agree with the way the president was handling it uh, completely. There were some things I agreed with, much I disagreed with. But, you know, in the end, let's remember that the, the person who understood and executed the hand, the appropriate handling of COVID um, first was Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. And anybody who tries to claim otherwise is just trying to rewrite history. Governor huh? Kemp was the guy who did that first, most aggressively, and most effectively.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, I thought Christy Nome was. So that, that's good to know. Uh, last question before we come back live, Governor. In terms of, of talking about COVID on the debate stage, the rules don't allow people to actually talk about it. It's a pandemic. You can't do it in a minute. Should the rules change to address what happened and what will happen in the future?
1: Look, I'd love for the rules to change. But for the rules to change, by the way, People on the stage have to adhere to the rules.
0: True.
2: And
1: I think that, you know, one of the real problems of the first debate was that a few of the candidates in particular just paid no attention to the rules. Bells were going off frequently. They just kept going. They kept interrupting um, at times. And look, you know me, Hugh, I'm, I, am, uh, I am no wallflower, <laughs> but the, the rules the rules are there. So I agree. Be-
0: you know, the worst rule is the right of response, Governor. I really, yeah. I would torpedo that rule. It's the dumbest rule.
1: It, it, because, you know, they said something about the Trump administration not building the wall, and Vice President Pence said that, that entitled him to a response. Well, you're running against President Trump. How does that entitle you to a response? I, I, right? I
0: just think it's the dumbest rule, and uh, but nobody asked me. We'll be right back on the air with Governor Chris Christie. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I continue my conversation with Governor Christie. Governor, I want no labels to prosper. I want them to get out there and raise a lot of money and find a couple of Democrat dummies to run on that and drain votes from Democrats because I'm a Republican. What do you think about no labels?
1: I think it's a fool's errand. Um, I really do. And, and I think that um, they shoot with a shotgun. Um, they don't know who they're going to hurt, um, depending upon who they nominate and not something that I would ever care to be involved in.
0: All right, let me talk to you about the, uh, the campaign itself. I asked former President Trump yesterday, can you campaign from behind a defense table? He dismissed it as being a non-issue. It is an issue. I mean, I, I don't agree with scheduling these trials. I think it's, it's absurd to have trials in the middle of a campaign, but they're going to happen. Can someone really campaign for president when they're a defendant in an ongoing case? No, of course not.
1: And he is going to spend all of March and much of April um, in a D.C. courtroom um, with his lawyers telling him he can't speak uh, instead of being out on the campaign trail, making the case against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. He is absolutely disqualified practically from being our nominee. And if we nominate him, we will lose. It's that simple. Governor, regardless of whether you think the indictments are fair or unfair, where the scheduling of the trials are fair or unfair, they are a reality.
0: That is a reality. So I want to ask the two most important questions. At the first debate, very little time was spent by Republicans talking about Joe Biden. What is the best case against Joe Biden in one minute, Governor Christie?
1: The best case against Joe Biden is he created the worst inflation in this country since the Jimmy Carter era. He is destroying um, American livelihoods by having created that. Secondly, his his military policy has caused death of good American men and women in Afghanistan, caused weakness that allowed the Putin invasion of Ukraine. Um, Thirdly, he has perverted our educational system in a way that now one-third of our kids cannot read at grade level. Um, it was his policies that have contributed to that problem. Um, and fourth, this is a guy who is simply past his sell-by date. He, If he ever could function as president, which I doubt that he could have ever done it well, um, he is clearly physically and mentally incapable of doing the job.
0: And then that question didn't get asked, uh, and I would have asked it, even though it's boring and, and very very predictive, uh, predictable, why do you want to be it? The other boring, predictable, but necessary question, why Chris Christie? There are seven people on the stage with one guy off stage who's got the lead. Why Governor Christie? What are you telling the people in New Hampshire? Because you are rising in New Hampshire.
1: What I'm telling them, Hugh, is that what we need to do first and foremost is defeat Joe Biden. Uh, and there's only one person on that stage, and it is me, who's defeated a Democratic incumbent. And I did it in a very blue state uh, with being outspent three to one by the former CEO of Goldman Sachs and the incumbent governor at the time, John Corzine. When we last time we defeated a Democratic incumbent uh, president was Jimmy Carter. And who defeated him? A conservative Republican governor from a blue state. Ronald Reagan. We first need to win. Second, we need someone who actually knows how to deliver results, not just rhetoric. And I did so in a place with a Democratic legislature for eight years that fought me every step of the way. And I won a majority of those battles because I knew how to communicate with the people and bring them together in a way that led to a reelection in that blue state with 61 percent of the vote of the independent vote and 58% of the women's vote against the female candidate. So you need someone who knows how to win and then knows how to deliver results to ensure an overwhelming reelection. Um, There's no one else on that stage who's ever done it except for me.
0: Okay. My my personal question is always if you have one big swing because you get the Republican Senate and the Republican House, I would take it at getting the ability back to fire people in the federal government because we can't do anything with a permanent administrative state of a million people. What would Chris Christie ask for in that first reconciliation? What's the big swing?
1: You know, Hugh, it's interesting that you gave the answer you just gave. I think it's, a, it's incredibly important because you can't run a government um, if you can't determine personnel. Personnel is policy, um, especially in a government the size of the United States government, which is the largest government in the world. And so I do think that that recommendation by you is one that I've thought has been smart for years um, and one that I think would be incredibly, incredibly important in order to empower a president to really change policy through every level of the U.S. government.
0: Uh, Former Governor Christie, thank you. You know, your staff still not telling me when you're in New Hampshire. I'm going to be in Ann Arbor this weekend for my 40th law school reunion. So I can't come down this weekend. But please let me know when you're there. I'll drive down and see you in person. I I want to watch from the cheap seats. I will
1: be in New Hampshire Monday and Tuesday, the 11th and 12th of September, doing a big town hall meeting in Bedford on the 12th.
0: Oh, count on it. I'm going to be down there. Chris have your team send me something, please. I want to be in the cheap seats. I don't want to be up front. I just want to watch and see how the crowd reacts. Chris Christie, always great to have you on, Governor. Thank you for joining me at my invitation after Donald Trump yesterday. Coming back in Hour 3 America with former Vice President Pence, because this is Switzerland, and everybody gets to talk on The New U.S Show. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt for Birch Gold. Go to HughGold.com or text my name, Hugh, to 989898 to get the free information package on opening up a physical precious metals IRA, Sepira, or 401k. To do that, you need an independent third-party administrator. You buy the gold, and the third-party administrator puts it into a vault, and they keep you posted on it, and hopefully you add to it over the years. I want you to know that over the past 100 years, gold kept up with inflation. It is definitely your runaway money, and if you want to diversify, not just stocks and bonds and cash, but dirt and gold, well, the latter two ought to make up at least 10% of your wealth, and some of that should be in gold. I buy my gold from Birch Gold. You ought to as well. Go to hugold.com. That's hugold.com or text my name, Hugh, to 989898. Thousands of you have made those inquiries. Many of you have opened up those depositories. Physical precious metals, physical gold, the one thing that won't slip away in the night. Hughgold.com. Text Hugh to 989898. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, joined by former Vice President Mike Pence. Good morning, Mr. Vice President. Welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show.
2: Good morning, Hugh. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, I'm sorry I stepped on your big story yesterday with the interview with Donald Trump. You gave an important speech on conservatism and populism. So I'd like to have you at least recap for people the core message that you delivered yesterday.
2: Yeah, you bet. Look, I'm, I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. I think Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad, and I think the choice that we face uh, in the Republican Party is not just not just who will be our standard bearer, but what we will stand for. Uh, and you know me a long time, Hugh. You know, I'm, I'm somebody that has long believed in that that conservative agenda. Uh, you know, really first brought to the White House by Ronald Reagan, a commitment to a strong national defense, American leadership in the world, fiscal responsibility, reform, the right to life. And values, but I I believe that both my former running mate and many of his imitators in this Republican primary uh, are now giving voice to uh, a a new Republican populism, and uh, uh, that would walk away from American leadership on the world stage, literally ignore our national debt crisis, and wants to marginalize the right to life to be a state's only issue. And I, for my part, want want people to know that I'm I'm going to stand strong on that broad-based conservative agenda. Uh, and when people look at my record, not just as vice president in a in an administration that did govern as a conservative administration, but also my years as a conservative governor and as a as a leading house conservative for 12 years in the Congress, the people will see that I'm I'm uh, the most proven, the most tested, the most qualified conservative in this race. And I believe that staying true uh, to that common sense agenda. Uh, that has defined our movement, our party over the last 50 years. It's not just a a pathway to victory, Hugh, but I also believe it's a pathway toward restoring America's strength and prosperity.
0: Uh, Mr. Vice President, it's a bit of a tortoise and a hare race with Vivek playing the hare, and you are the tortoise with the Constitution on his back, and I'm glad. You and I have not actually changed much in 25 years. We're saying the same things we say and is it going to work though? Is there enough time for that to work and to appeal to the distant echoes of the Reaganite conservatives, which a lot of young people just don't believe in anymore?
2: Yeah, well, look, I, I look. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan uh, left the White House four decades ago. He left this earth three decades ago. Uh, and, but but people that say that these timeless principles that predated Reagan, he, you know, Reagan was the first one to say that, he, he, you know, he said, people call me a great communicator, but I, I actually just communicated great things that came from the heart of a great nation. I mean, this is, these are principles that, that you articulate every day on the airwaves across the country here that really go to the very heart of the American founding, to the Constitution, uh, and to all the things that have always made America strong and true. I'm, I, I'm convinced that the the majority of Republicans— uh, independents and many Democrats want to see us continue to be the leader of the free world with a strong military willing to stand with our allies, stand up to our enemies. The majority of Americans know we've got to confront this debt crisis. But Joe you know, Biden's policy is insolvency. He won't even talk about the massive uh, debt crisis being driven by entitlements in this country. Um, and frankly, you know, the former president's position and many in the Republican field also are walking away from a commitment to fiscal responsibility and reform, so uh, to me that that's the choice that we have It's not between personalities uh but there there are uh, there are good men and uh and a good woman that are standing in this race so far and uh and uh, uh but I have differences and have had differences with them in the past and today but this is really about the country it's really about the direction of our party and uh and I think this this choice between whether we're going to stay true to that, that time-honored conservative agenda or whether we're going to follow the siren song of populism unmoored to conservative principles is really why uh, yesterday in New Hampshire I said we've come to a Republican time for choosing.
0: Now, Mr. Vice President, I said to the former president yesterday, I said to Governor Christie earlier today, the big great white shark issue below the waves, the Jaws issue, is what happened in covid And I asked the former president, why was Dr. Fauci the decider-in-chief? And he said he wasn't. And uh, Chris Christie said what he saw he was. You were there. Why was Tony Fauci in charge of so much for so long?
2: Well, look, uh, you know, uh, the former president uh, assembled a task force early, early in 2020. Uh, the end of February, I mean, he had added health experts, including Dr. Fauci, to the team. In late February, he asked me to lead the task force as it became more clear that we were headed into, uh, not only the worst pandemic in America in 100 years, but a global pandemic. And I, I, I will tell you in the, in the early days, I felt like, uh, I felt like Dr. Fauci stayed in his lane. When I became, uh, when I became the leader of the COVID task force, I actually added Larry Kudlow and I added the Treasury Secretary, uh, Stephen Mnuchin, to the task force because I knew that whatever temporary steps we would need to take to marshal the kind of supplies that our healthcare workers and hospitals would need, uh, that the most important thing is that we would be able to open up America and get the economy moving again. But, you know, frankly, I think uh, when, when Joe Biden emerged as the Democrat candidate, when he began to kind of lift Dr. Fauci up and say that he was going to turn things over to Dr. Fauci, I, I felt that his uh, I felt that that Fauci's public posture changed uh, and in uh, no surprise that when Biden came in, he turned everything over to Fauci. And next thing you knew, uh, we had vaccine mandates being imposed on the American people, which never would have happened uh, under our team. Look, China was responsible for the covid pandemic. Schools should have never been closed. Vaccines should have never been mandated. And uh, uh, but he was he was part of that task force that President Trump assembled early on. But I think the I think the, the way that Joe Biden demagogued the issue uh, of the pandemic and promised put Fauci in charge ended up changing his posture and his tone as time went
0: on. Now, Mr. Vice President, I don't want to call anyone on the air a liar or a deceiver, but Dr. Fauci actively misled me on gain of function research. I mean, actively misled me as he did the American people on masks. Do you believe he misled you during his time as an advisor to the panel in which you chaired the response.
2: You know, I I just will never understand. I I sat at the end of that table in the Situation Room every single day with the task force, and I lost count on the number of times that Dr. Fauci insisted to me that it could not have come from a Chinese lab, Uh, even though the the head of the CDC, uh, a a virologist with his background, sat at the end of the table and, and shook his head and said, no, it came from a lab. I mean, I wrote about that in my book and, uh, you know, all the, all that what's come out about, about, uh, taxpayer dollars flowing into gain of function research is, it, it yeah, it's very troubling to me. But I, I, I will tell you, I'm convinced today that the COVID pandemic came from that Chinese lab in Wuhan. Uh, China needs to be held accountable for that, uh, in the, in the days ahead. If I'm president of the United States, we're going to hold them accountable for the impact on our nation. But I, I still, I I don't understand uh, why all throughout that time at that table and in the task force, in the Situation Room, Dr. Fauci just insisted it could not have come from a lab when it it appears now that uh, it came from no other place.
0: Now, uh, Mr. Vice President, I want to talk about China, and you've raised it just timely. Yesterday, I asked the former president about an article that came out yesterday. At the Summer Gathering of the Elders of China, which happens every year, It was reported that the elders rebuked Xi Jinping for his style of leadership. Uh, Former President Trump said on the show yesterday, they'll all be executed by the end of this week. What do you think is going on over there, and how ought we to respond to China's many aggressive actions everywhere?
2: Well, look, I've met President Xi, uh, represented our country uh, uh, at international conferences where he and I both spoke. I gave a very, very tough speech. Uh, on China at the very same conference the afternoon. He, he gave a tough speech pushing back on an unnamed country that uh, they, had, they had made it clear they were going to continue to challenge economically, meaning us. Look, uh, China only understands strength and only understands power. And the fact that Joe Biden has literally been working to cut military spending since he came I- into office. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, you look at that recent debt ceiling deal. Frankly, if they don't get all their 13 bills done, we'll have a 1 percent cut in defense spending in 2025 is unconscionable at a time that China is literally floating a new battleship in the Asia Pacific uh, every every month. So, you know, what, I, what I'm saying is, is we've got to do two things. we got to we, we it's not about rebuilding the military anymore here. We've got to build a military fitted to the challenges in the 21st century. That means a 350-ship Navy. That means leaning into an effort. That means ending political correctness at the Pentagon. Second thing we got to do is build on what we began to do in the Trump-Pence administration, which is limit access to our economy to China, just like we put those those tariffs on, $250 billion, until they end their military provocations, end the trade abuses, intellectual property theft, we brought them to the table. If you remember that Phase One trade deal in early 2020, uh, th- I mean they w- they were at that table like at, at lightning speed. So so they understand when we use the economic power of the United States, when we make a commitment to a strong national defense. Uh, I believe that we I believe that we can keep uh, we can keep moving uh, both uh, President Xi. Uh, and uh, communist China in the direction of, of, of uh, our interest and not theirs. But weakness arouses evil. And uh, President Joe Biden is projecting weakness on the world stage. And I believe that's the reason why we're continuing to see China engage in the kind of military provocations and uh, and, uh, and aggressive behavior that they've engaged in in recent months.
0: Mr. Vice President, last question. I, uh, I saw at the... Uh uh, on ABC this weekend, Governor Christie saying there will be a third debate in Tuscaloosa. I think there'll be 12 debates. I want them to evolve so that it's more about Biden and less about each other. How would you improve the rule set to make the debate more meaningful for people who are on the fence between candidates on the Republican side and whether or not they're going to support the Republican nominee versus the Democratic nominee?
2: Well, the first thing I do is get Hugh Hewitt at the table. I mean, Well, look, thank it, you, but... <laughs> But honestly, you've done a great job of those presidential debates, and I'm not trying to flatter you. I'm, I'm very serious. Look, I was very, uh, you know, I was honored to be on that stage. We're looking forward in three weeks to being at the Reagan Library. And my, but my hope is, with Fox Business hosting the next debate, is that we talk more about the economy. I mean, look, the, the American people are not buying Bidenomics. Bidenomics is failing people of this country. I know the, I know the Democrats are getting ready to run a big national TV campaign telling people telling people things are great. They're not, uh, I mean, in, inflation last year was at a 40-year high. Mortgage rates, 22-year high. I mean, we, we've got to get the solutions, and uh, that, that'll that be what I'm driving for, that's the solutions Republicans offer to get this economy moving and secure our country again.
0: Very quickly, Mr. Vice President, what's your website? MikePence2024.com.
2: Thanks, you. Great to be with you.
0: MikePence2024.com. Thank you, Mr. Vice President.